0: In the name of the Lord, I was excited, and I, we were going to hear three songs, so I was just like really pumped about that. Um, I want to say this first and foremost: that it's a great day to be a Buccaneer. Uh, I just have to say that if you watched any of the game, and I'm not here to preach about the game, but I think there's a, it's a great segue. It's a great opening to where we need to go. My favorite part was after the game was uh, going on Twitter. Yeah, right? You go on Twitter and, and I got to watch it. You get know, to see it before it goes out. And, and again, I can't say enough about I, Let me just say this. All right, so uh, North Dakota State, their video boards that are brand new are $9.5 million. That's more than our whole athletic budget. And let me put it in perspective for you. See, what God can do with willing people, the world can't buy. Now, you didn't know what I said. Maybe you get it this way. Uh, so I, I, I like what uh, Jamie Chappell, who has uh, been a huge blessing in my life. I had an opportunity to pass through now for 11 years. And just to see the, the growth, to see him crying as he started crying, was a, I really like that. Because he was believing in something that it was big, and it wasn't just a game. It was believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Like I like the guy that I followed to talk about Jesus. I don't know about you, but I like that. And so what happens was to see him, even in the midst of that, know that there was still peace. My favorite part of the interview was when he was talking about the game, and you know, y'all know to bring somebody up to speed. There we we kicked at the end of the game to try and win the game. It was at the last second, and literally, I mean, it was a great kick. I mean. Pounds of legs, impressive. And at the last minute, it just kind of went to the left of the goalpost at the last minute. And I love what Coach Chappell said in the interview. He said, "You know, I, I mean, our guys fought hard. You know, you could see the tears in his eyes in the middle of it." He said, "But I have one question. I want to know who cut the air conditioning on at that moment it made it. Well, anyway, so it was really neat to see in the midst of that to see that there was still a peace of God." In the midst of whatever is going on, you and I have the opportunity to have the peace of God. That's why, that's why we're spending time in the book of places. That's why we want to talk about courage. Because it's so short today in Christianity to see people truly living out that listen, there's a lot of people that like Jesus, but there are very few people that love Jesus. Come on, somebody. And so what happens is to really live in that love. And so that's what I want to talk about. I mean, think about this. I was writing this down. It takes courage to live free in the Lord. What do I mean by free? I want to define freedom as being in love with Jesus Christ so much that we're not hindered by what anybody thinks, says, or feels around us. It doesn't even matter what it costs us. That the love of Jesus Christ is so much more powerful than anything else. For example, living in freedom is that my heart is changed and people see it. My mind has changed and people see it. My emotions have changed and people see it. My will has changed and people see it. I mean, that's what it is to walk with Christ. That's what it is to live in freedom. And so today, I don't want to come with any, as scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, wise and persuasive words. But I want to come with a demonstration of the spirit of power. Because God is calling us to be so in love with him that nothing else matters. And if we can get that today, I'm going to tell you something. It'll change every relationship you have in your life. Whether it's with your future spouse, whether it's with your boss, whether it's with your grandchild, whether it's with your sweet mate who's driving you crazy. It'll change everything when Jesus becomes the center of your love. Let me just ask the Lord to speak. Lord, there's been so many prayers already, and I praise God for that because your house is going to be a house of prayer for the nations. And so, Lord, I, I just want to come to you today, and I just want to say, Lord, I'm asking you to just work past my weakness and, and, and my frailty. I, I pray, Lord, that as I decrease and you increase, and I pray that by faith, Lord, that people would just see Jesus. That the Holy Spirit will work so powerfully, our hearts will be changed. We'd never be the same. This wouldn't just be somebody sitting up here talking. God, God help me if that ever becomes that. God, there will be a transformation that I would come with, not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and the power. So here we are, Lord. We're yours. We confess our sins to you because you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You are beautiful. If you, done, if you don't do anything else, you have done more than enough. In Jesus' name, we all said, "What?" Amen. So, Galatians chapter three. You can go on your phone. You can go to Facebook, the notes on Summit Church Facebook, uh, and you can check those out. But Galatians chapter three, we've been in this book, and we're going to stay in it for a little bit until we move into this new series in October. But Galatians three, this is one of the most powerful. Powerful passage to me It's the epicenter That creates everything for us in the book of Galatians Galatians chapter 3 verse 12 13 and 14 Galatians chapter 3 verse 12 13 and 14 Here is the word of the Lord the law That is, Ten Commandments, that is, in the laws that we get, specifically in Exodus and Leviticus, the law is not based on faith. Genesis chapter 12, God made a covenant with Abraham. Before the Ten Commandments, there was God making a relationship with man. But we want to put Christianity into laws. Like any good lawyer, I'm a son of a lawyer, my twin sister's a lawyer, y'all know that, my brother is a lawyer, my nephew's a lawyer. A, any good lawyer, we want to put God into a list of do's and don'ts. And let me just say, for the single people in this room, let me just give you a don't Don't ever get into a relationship with with somebody that they're consistently going to tell you, don't do this or do that. Because when they love you for who you are, it don't matter what you do. Oh, but John, it does matter, really. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. It didn't matter what I did. It mattered what he had already done. So what I'm trying to say to you in this is that everything wants to go to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are not the answer. They've never been the answer. It was a way that God created, if you study Torah, the first problems, it was a way that God created for the community to live together. It's good for me not to covet and stuff. It's good for me not to commit adultery and cheat on my wife. It's good for me to honor my father and mother. It is good for me to do those things. But that's not law. It's not the way to God's heart. I can listen, I can prophesy, I can cast out demons But like Jesus said in Matthew 7, depart from me you workers of iniquity I never what saints It doesn't matter You said, but John you're just trying to say that if it doesn't matter if there's a law then what's really going to drive people to do what's right I don't wake up every day saying I need to do what's right I wake up every day trying to say how can I love you more Jesus Because if I love, think about this If I love my wife more, then I'm going to do right by her more. I don't wake up trying to say, what can I do right for her today? I've got to wake up saying, how can I love her more today? So, the law is not based on faith. Faith came before the law. Don't let anybody tell you that the law is the answer. The law is a mirror. It shows us our dirt, but it cannot cleanse us. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them, verse 13. Here is the epicenter. If we get one verse, this is it. Let's hang our hats. Let's hang everything. Let's hang all my Christianity, everything that I do. If I were to say a customer right now, and God strike me down, and I would stand in his presence, I would be in heaven, though you might disagree. I would be in heaven because I'm not on my own merit, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. Kick and scream. You want to know why Kick and screaming? I don't like that the demands on me are higher than anybody else. I don't like the fact that somebody here in CSU might can cuss somebody out. Let me cuss somebody out. I'm calling you for a job. Yo, you got a job? Okay. Demands are higher. Demands are greater. And, I, and my flesh screams and says it's unfair. But God gave him a word. Look at Genesis chapter 2. David Dyer talked about this so great on Thursday nights. And listen, I, some of you in this room, you need to come on Thursday night. and say, well, John, I'm 60 years old. So what? Yeah. Last time God counted age, it's only on earth. Because we ain't counting age in heaven. Because I'm going to be going to the ground in heaven. You can do what you want. But I'm going to all I can eat forever. Get old and start trying to watch cars. When I get in heaven, I'm going to watch them go in there. All right. I mean, you just got to know that there's bread in heaven. That is good. I mean, plus that food of heaven called manna, so I'm I'm just taking that all the way to the Lord, man. There's like a buffet in front of me. All right, here we go. Verse 15, Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took man and put him where, saints? in the garden. He was not created in the garden. Adam was not. He was put in the garden. Check this out. Put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man. When God gives us an assignment, he gives us his word. And his word is his presence. If you want the presence of God the word of God. Mm-hmm. So what happens here is he says, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat of it, you will certainly die. Fast forward a couple verses, and there you've got Eve talking to the serpent, talking to the serpent, and then all of a sudden, Eve goes and gets the fruit and then gives it to the man. Now, my question is, what is Eve talking to the serpent when the man already standing in the presence between her and the serpent? Because the word never came to Eve. That's why she got to Read it for yourself. She's kind of misquoting some stuff. The reason why is because when God not only gives you the word, you're also the gatekeeper of the word. You can't ask other people for the word that God gave you. When God gives you a word, you're responsible for that word. And the man tried to pass off the responsibility to his wife. Let me just tell you something. For me and my house, it ain't about my wife trying to choose this. John Davis chooses this. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Regardless of what she says, because the word came to me. You say that sounds awful pious and arrogant. I say that sounds awful biblical. When God gives you a word, don't let anybody else try to make it happen. It's on me to make it happen. So what happened was there was a fall. The image of God in us with this relationship that we had, there was a fall, a distinct chasm, if you will. And so what happens in that beautiful storyline that y'all talked about Thursday night so wonderful, there has to be someone who stands in the gap. The prophet the Lord and the Lord said, I looked for someone to stand in the gap, but I found no one. Why? Because no one can do what only God can do. So Moses is a failure. Abraham is a liar. King David is an adulterer. Jeremiah is a hider. Isaiah is too weak. And the prophets go on and on. They are not the heroes of the story, but Jesus said the law, the first five books, the law and the prophets testify about me. That's what the word of God says. And so now Jesus Christ shows up on the day because there is a demand, as John Pike would say, that we cannot meet. Matthew chapter 5 verse 48. Be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. There is a perfection demand that God says for us to reflect and be this presence and be the image bearers that he's called us to be. Now, let me say this aside, though. I've got to address this. Some people think that God wanted sin to come so we could know God better. That is wrong theology. God doesn't need to strike me with a sickness so I can understand him as a healer. I'll break it down for you. I got some children in this room. They might not claim this, Daddy, because you know I'm kind of trashy. But I want to protect and provide for my children. But do I need to make my children sick to know so that they will know that I will take care of them? If you saw me drugging my kids so I could give them to the hospital just so they could experience an illness, just so they'll know that I'll take care of them, who's the real person who's sinned? So why would God, why would God design for sin to take place so that we could know him as better than what he is? The last time I checked, he didn't have to create us. He was good before sin and he is good after sin. So, God is so let me just kind of clear up some theology that was a little misconstrued on Thursday night. i, I, I got to clean that up a little bit. Because why? Because God doesn't need sin to be great. He already is great. But in spite of our sin, he does something great. In spite of what we've done, he stands in the gap. In Galatians chapter 3, look what it says again. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The demand is perfection. We did not meet it. And therefore, the demand now has a burden. A burden that that comes with it is called a curse. For the wages of sin is what? So somebody has to stand in the gap. In Ezekiel chapter 20, Right? Always towards the way through he looks for this one who stands in the gap and they found no one. But Jesus. Jesus comes and stands in the gap and becomes a curse for us. For cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The Old, it's quoting the Old Testament. So therefore, Christ not only fulfilled our righteousness, but he took our punishment. Now, here's what redemption means. you ready? Get ready to get to our, 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 our two main ideas that we're going to have to reconcile and work with the Lord with. Here we go. So, what is redemption? If, 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 it's, if it's creation, fall, and then our redemption, where Christ not only steps in and becomes this perfect human being for us, so that now the Holy Spirit can dwell within our broken individual beings, but now what happens, he becomes that for us. He also becomes our payment. Of our debt. The word redemption there, this is interesting, I want you to hear this. This redemption is absolutely brilliant. The word redemption, uh, excuse me, the word redeem is from the active voice in the Greek. Now, what that means, I'm going to be a little technical. That voice means, that active voice means, it's continually doing something. It's active. When he says right here, Verse thirteen: Christ redeemed us. That word "redeemed" it's a verb; it's in the active voice. That means it is continually working right now. Though John Davis might sin, I am still redeemed. You tracking me? Are y'all awake? We need a donut. All right, here we go. So it also means this: it means to buy fully or to recognize a compound word. It means to recognize its future gain. That's what it means. So here's what's interesting. So when he redeems us, Christ recognizes my future gain. Therefore, that's why Jeremiah can say, quote the word of God, for I know the plans I. Yes. For I know the plans I have for you because I've been redeemed. When I've been redeemed, though I feel like I'm nothing, God says I am something. And God says there's that purpose. That's what did to me. It means that there's a future recognition. bring life. So what does redemption mean? It means the fact that God recognized us. He brought us back fully for our future recognition of what we can be. That's redemption. So now here's my point. Two two points. Christ's redemption brings no condemnation. Christ's redemption means there's no condemnation. If he was cursed on a tree, therefore there's no more punishment for us. But you're saying, John, I've been I'm a female like the Christ, but I still sin. Here's what happens. See, Satan wants to, to tell you that you see you still sin, therefore you're no good. Listen, you've got to remember something. I'm telling you this what he good before salvation. What makes me good is because God is good. And so he redeemed me fully. I am going to be, God sees what I'm going to be before I ever get to where I'm going to be. And that's why there's no condemnation. For example, I, I, I see this in this word helps me understand. It that means I'm fully going to be in this place. There's no condemnation. I am not going to be what I thought I was going to be. And so that's why in Romans uh, chapter eight verses one through four. Let's just turn to Let's just turn to Romans eight This is going to make a complete sense. I'm going to break this thing down. The oh, Lord willing, the Lord's going to do it. Not me. Romans eight one through four. Check this out. So Paul and seven. Is- I do what I don't want to do, or what I don't want to do, I do, and no rescue me from this body of death. In other words, he's saying, I'm still sinning, I'm struggling, like I'm trying to live this holy, perfect life, but I'm not living it out. And then Romans 8.1 comes in, This, I mean, the, God just comes in like a flood. You know, he says, "Who will rescue me from this body of death, but thanks to God for Jesus Christ, because he knows that Jesus Christ is going to rescue him, even from everything. Then look what it says in verse 1. Therefore, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're continually redeemed. Remember the active voice in the Greek? We're continually redeemed. When you sin, God still sees you. If you're a believer, let me disqualify that, if you're a believer, if you're born again, and if you die to yourself, surrendered your life to Christ, you are under no condemnation. Therefore, now, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Keep it up. Because, verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. We have been set free because of the Spirit of God. Because of Christ's work, the Holy Spirit of sin is, is dwelling within us. So when I sin, the Holy Spirit convicts me. John, that was wrong. Before Christ, I might feel bad about it. But if I continually sin, I feel less and less bad about it until it becomes my home. But while walking with God and loving Jesus, and loving God, I can't. It just eats me alive when there's something that's wrong. So you see, because of that, verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, the law was supposed to show us our weakness. The law was a mirror to show us our The law was to show us, hey, we have sinned against the holy God. But this is what community should look like. I 10 commandments and so forth. Look at this. For the law was powerless to do what it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus took it all. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Jesus did for us he became our righteousness. He lived a perfect life so that now we have purpose and direction. So now I am a new creation in Christ. And I'm saved. I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ. But all things have passed away, behold, all things are new. Now, this is very interesting because what happens now, you and I, now let me break it down for you. Let me break it down for you what I mean by no condemnation. Let me break it down for you. And I especially want to talk to some people in this room. I want to talk to some single people in the room. Because I think it's a pretty good illustration. Matthew chapter 28 verse 19. Therefore, what's the Bible say? Just take a guess. Therefore, go make disciples of all ethnic or nations. Baptizing them. Right? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach and obey everything I have commanded you, and I'm with you always, or along with you always, to the very end of the age. So there's an assignment. So now, God sees me, redeems me, because He fully recognizes what I'm going to be, even though I don't understand what I'm going to be. And here's what's interesting with what the Lord showing me. So now that I have, now that I've been redeemed, watch this. Watch, I'll be redeemed. My whole life changes. There's something different. I was going this way, right, away from God. About face, I can't do that well. Sorry, I had to look over there for a little bit. And now, I'm going another way. There's a new lane for me. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to start doing a laugh here in a second. I'm going to burn some calories here, people, so I can eat more bread. Hebrews chapter 12. Check this out. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 3. Let's turn it. Come on, put it on your phones do something. Here we go. This is going to make sense. We're in a no condemnation. Even when we sin, the beauty of Christ taking the curse for us means we have this continual relationship with God, even though I continually am unfaithful, because 2 Timothy 2.13 kicks in, when I'm faithless, he is faithful, because God cannot deny himself. You can look up that verse, but here we go, Hebrews 12, 1-3, therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of what, saints? Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. He's saying, listen, now you've got, I'm putting you on a path, a new path. You've got to throw everything off. You've got to throw everything off of you because I'm getting ready to show you something. So watch this. It gets really." for the joy set before him, endure the cross, spoiling in shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our lane might bring some worldly shame. Y'all tracking me? People are gonna look at you and say, Idiot. People are gonna look at you and say, crazy. Weak! People take kindness for weakness. Come on, somebody. People take kindness all the time. When you're a Christian and you're kind, people will take and try to take advantage of you. They'll say, you're a bunch of weak, wimpy Christians. Well, I want to tell you something. If I'm so weak, why don't you put the bottle in your hand and walk around the school? You're just too scared of the abuse you might take. Why don't you step up and be a real man? Because you're too afraid. You can blast everybody on Twitter, and you can blast everybody on Facebook, but I don't ever see you speaking your mind around people because you hide behind a screen. Oh, there's shame walking with Jesus. There's people who will try to put shame on you. And then, what's worse is we try put shame on ourselves. And then we sing, sing songs like this Our shame was great, but Jesus, you're what? Great. So there, there is shame. People are going to make fun of being a pastor. I make fun of pastors. Some of them are straight out weird. Odd for God. Some of them got hair that scare me. Some of them have wild eyes that scare me, some of them dress and scare me, some of them talk and say, Jesus, oh. I don't even know what the eye is in Jesus. <laughs> it scares me. Then I look at women with crazy hair on TV, This in multicolors. I'm like scared. And lose heart. So I want to give you a word. Don't lose heart today. Why? Because we walk by faith and not by sight. So this, this lane this marked out for us, Isaiah 53:8, I don't it's going to be up there because I know um, excuse me, Isaiah 35, verse 8. I apologize for I Isaiah 35, verse And look what it says. And a highway will be there. It will be called a highway of what, saints? The lane that God has for you and I is called a highway of holiness. It's a lane that's marked out. If you get saved in the middle of your marriage, it is now a highway of holiness. If you get saved in your singleness, it is a highway of holiness. If you get saved at your job, or at your school, or when you were younger, you have a highway of holiness. It's a place of no condemnation. I said, if I've calls a highway of holiness, And this is what it says. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. Isaiah 40, verse 3. Then this is the passage that John the Baptist used in the New Testament. Quoting this, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. God is going to put you in a place that you think is a desert. I'm over here. God is going to put us in a place that we think is a desert. When I preached my first sermon at Summit with eight people, I never thought it would be like this. Y'all ain't listening. It's a highway of wholeness. It looks like a desert now. But remember when you're redeemed, God sees the What we're fully going to be We don't see what we're fully going to be So we have We fix our eyes on Christ And God has erased a mark after us There's an assignment Now, single people This is where it gets really good I have a statement I say all the time The Holy Spirit makes you I didn't hear what you said The Holy Spirit makes you I'm a prime example of (laughs) that Why did my wife marry me? I have no idea But the Holy Spirit makes you high Can I get a witness with some people on this campus? There are some people that are dating that outside of Jesus, we, they would never date. <laughs> I'm just telling the truth. I would never put them together. I feel like I'm a pretty good matchmaker. You don't need match.com, just do a job. I'm gonna start my own site, John's Tinder. <laughs> No, i So what happens is, is that this is what this is where it is. So John has a race. Come, I'm gonna use you, Mommy. Come here. No, come, come here, here, Lucas, here. Come here. I want, I want you come I'm here. I'm gonna find you on the top. Come here. <laughs> Sweet Jesus, on the stage, Come here, mommy. <laughs> this is Lucas White, he's from Columbia. His mother's a professor at the University of South Carolina, but praise God he came to the right school. Alright, so. No, so Lucas is It's good. It's a friend. Jobs, business partners. That's why families do this because somebody's going this way and somebody's. Going that. That's why Paul said. It. That's why Paul said it. it's better not to marry. Why? Because who could go with Paul in prison? Who could go with Paul when he was beheaded? Who could go with Paul into the darkness of beatings? Who can go with him into the dungeon and in chains? Who can go with him? Because there was a race. Marked out for him, that he was called to do by himself and the Spirit of God. But that doesn't mean it's universal for all of us. Because, Genesis 2, God says, I'll send you a help man. We all have a race marked out for us. It is a highway of holiness. We are a new creation in Christ. And then I want to land this plane. Are you ready? This is what else. so, so, redemption Christ's redemption brings no condemnation. We've got to stop condemning ourselves. I'm ugly. I'm this. I'm that. Stop what God's saying. That may be what you're feeling and feelings are real, but feelings don't have a brain. As one preacher said. And the second point that I would like for us to pray through now is that Christ's redemption brings like reconciliation. Look at Look at Galatians chapter 3. 3. I mean, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Do you know why Jesus was single? Because nobody can mark out his ways to go with him in the man. Does that make sense? That's why Jesus was single. He had to die alone. Even Peter, James, and John fell asleep. Even everybody else turned away. And the prophecy in Isaiah 53, all the sheep were scattered because the shepherd was struck. He had to do it alone. But I don't believe that God is telling you to do it alone. Because the Bible says, it's not good for man to be alone. But there is a race marked out for us, and within that race, we have got to be people that give reconciliation. Why? Because Jesus became the curse for us. We either, for people that don't know the Lord, they are either going to pay for the curse in hell, or they're going to let Jesus pay for the curse. Did anybody get that? We who are believers, Jesus has paid the curse. God is not angry with me, even when I say. Because all oh, the anger has been put on Jesus. Isaiah 53.10, It pleased God to crush him. Jesus, in the New Testament language, Jesus was the propitiation of our sin. That means to satisfy the wrath of God. It's all on him. Do I get disciplined? Yes. Am I condemned? No. But within my lane, God is going to call me to reconcile. 2 Corinthians 5, let's look there. We're going to lay this plane, And then I'm going to ask, are you willing really to trust me? to reconcile? 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 14. Oh, this is so good. Lord, give me the words to say. For Christ's love compels us. If you're there, say amen. amen. For Christ's love compels us. Because we're convinced that one died for all, therefore all die. Galatians 2, 20. From crucified with me. And yet I, and yet I, not I but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In other words, my lane is a lane that I have crucified. John Davis is dead. It is a call to die. Everything within me died so that Christ might live. John 3, I'm going to decrease, he's going to increase. And it's all about releasing the presence of for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Is everybody tracking so we live for Christ? So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Very hard when people flip me the bird. Seriously. Very hard for me. Driving down the road, somebody flips you the bird you're like, Jesus went out the window. I don't know where you went, Jesus, but I feel a lot of John. I'm not looking at this from a Christ point of view. I'm looking at this from a worldly point of view. God, you step in. Because if you don't step in, I'm going to step out. <laughs> Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do, not, we do something along the way. We look at it from a worldly point of view. Christ is a weirdo, a jerk, a loser, crazy, weakness, lunatic. Therefore, it was in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God. Who reconciled us to himself in Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation verse uh, 19 that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation so now on the highway of holiness when somebody sins against us we don't count their sins against them because either their sins have been paid by Christ on the cross or they will be paid in hell. But either way, they are paid for. Are you kidding me? This is where sins you really want. right very hard for John to forgive. It's hard for me to forgive. It's hard for me to forgive Christians who do things that, that to me, I struggle with. It's hard for me to, to forgive people. But here's how I know I can go of forgiveness. That what was done against me was so wrong to God and so offensive to God that somebody had to pay a debt. And God took that sin it was against you and against me. And he looked at that person and he said, if you're a believer, I'm going to put the punishment that should go to you because you hurt John or the punishment that should go to me because I hurt you, I'm going to put his punishment on Christ on the cross. And if that person is a non and they choose not to surrender the right to the righteousness of God and they try to live out their righteousness, God's going to say, now, you will pay for that sin in hell." Because ultimately, when we sin, we're not sinning against the person, we're sinning against the Lord. But then it begs this, that if I can't forgive, if Robbie sinned against me, and I can't forgive him, then what I've said is this, then Christ, your work on the cross, is not enough. I need to punish Robbie for what he did. Let me take it from here, God. Jesus' death, horrific though it might be, is really not enough to satisfy the anger in me towards him. Redemption brings us to the place of reconciliation. Now, for us, and for believers, there's no condemnation. We know that redemption brings that which side of us. We're excited that Jesus Christ died on the cause for our sins. And people say they do rituals in church that they say that makes them right with God. That doesn't make them right with God. It makes them right with the church. But being right with Jesus is when we can see evidence or when that person knows I surrendered my life. I am now not living for myself. My life is dead. I surrender my life to Christ and whatever it looks like. My love and trust for Him is greater than my fear of where I'm going. So we this highway of holiness and the offenses will come, Scripture says. Offenses will come. The question is, will I forgive? So here's the realness of the sermon. Here's the most holy moment. Are we willing to trust God in the midst of the offenses? said, John, you don't know what people have done to me, and I understand. I do not know. I do not know your pain. Your pain is much greater. You're exactly right, and, and, and it makes me angry of what people have done to you. It makes me honestly me want to go to my old self and start swinging, which is not right. I mean, John, I know statistically in here, there have been some horrific sins, right, Robbie? There's some horrific sins statistically in this room. That people, you've done nothing wrong, people have done against you. But I want to tell you that your Avenger is mighty and your Avenger is really good. And if that person, if that person receives Christ, he's going to put the punishment of what should happen to them on, on Christ at the cross. But if they don't submit to the Lord, they will literally have hell to pay. And that's much greater than any punishment or decoration. So kindness is not weakness. Kindness is trust. Reconciliation is not weakness. Reconciliation is trust. So today I just want to ask this. Do we need to ask the Lord to strengthen our trust in him so that we can begin the forgiveness journey? I, I, I just, I'm convinced that within this room, as a whole, we need to seek the Lord to give us strength to look at people the way God looks at them. That's why He said, Vengeance is mine, saying the Lord. He will either put his vengeance on Christ, or He will either put His vengeance in hell. Either way, it's going to come to we trust that God is good enough to take care of the offenses. So if you're in this room and you have no relationship with Jesus, you have a relationship with the church and the rituals, or you might have heard Jesus died for your sins and that's it. You might know a couple of Bible stories because you saw a picture, or maybe you saw veggie tales. I don't know. Okay. Knowing about God is not the same as knowing Him. It's only when you surrender your life it's a call to call it out. Say what I've sinned against you, and I surrender my life to you wherever it takes me, I believe that Jesus died and cross lost my sins. God, you rose me on the third day. I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow you. that am going to be it's The race walked out for me. I'm gonna so start. That's where the Spirit of God is awakening you and the Spirit of trust. In and today, if that's you, and you're trusting him right now, why don't you go and tell us that's exactly what you did in your prayer time. If you're in this room and you need prayer for reconciliation or praying for others for reconciliation, now's the time to trust God. But here's the call. Do we need to ask God to help us to trust him through offenses. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Your word says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So I want to pray, Lord, for anybody in this There's time we just need to come forward and say, Lord, I just need you to give me strength to trust. I just need you to give me strength to forgive. I need you to give me strength to maybe even go to a person that maybe I'm offended. I not But Lord, just the strength to forgive. The strength to love the way you would have us to love. And and loving you is very difficult, Lord. Loving, uh, Lord, it's very dangerous, Lord. It's, it's, it's scary to love. Lord, if there's a way that we need to come to you and ask, Lord, will you bring reconciliation? into an area. where only redemption can bring back. Only the redemption of Jesus can bring reconciliation. And yet he called us to that ministry. So Lord, I pray today over every one of us in this room, as we just ask you to strengthen our trust in you. Because you did what we could not do. So that now we can do have a relationship with so we love you, Lord. Help us to trust. Though we are weak, you were strong. Though we might be poor, in that trust, you were rich in your love and mercy. And I thank you, Lord, that whatever has happened against anybody, you saw fit to put that on Jesus. You took my sins and put it on me thank you. I can never repay all the wrongs that I've committed to you and to everyone else. But you can repay my debt. Thank you, Lord. We worship you in Jesus' name.